One thing this morning we want to talk about is bearing fruit, all right? So this morning we're going to continue our study in Colossians, and we're going to be talking about bearing fruit. You know, different trees produce different kinds of fruit, and I brought with me a few different kinds of fruit this morning, because you see, uh, we moved to this house about a month ago uh, out near Barker's Corner, so it's, we call it the Booznitz Farm, if you will. And our landlord said to us, you've got these trees in your backyard. They are satsuma trees. And I said, what's a satsuma? I had no idea. But it's basically a little, a little orange, right? A little, a little citrus fruit. And he said, they're about to be ripe. So you are, you moved here at just the right time. And sure enough, we've, we've had more than we can possibly eat. It's been wonderful enjoying this fruit. But different types of trees produce different types of fruit. So he gave me, uh, you know, we had these, these satsumas, amazing. But another day I looked out there and over on the other side of our yard, we had this tree with really bright yellow fruit, okay? So I'm going to see if this will all stay up here without falling off. And another tree that looked almost exactly like a satsuma, another one of these right here. And so I looked at these fruits and I looked at them. I saw that they were good and pleasing to the eye. So I took them and I ate them. And after I'd eaten them, I called Sarah and I said... You see these? They're good. They're pleasing to the eye. You want to try them? And and she ate some. And then we both spit them out as fast as we could. Because these two fruits are not good fruit. Okay? They are not good fruit. I have no idea what kind of tree it is. In fact, we asked some of the neighbors in the area. They said, yeah, uh, a previous owner planted these citrus trees. Nobody really knows what they are, but they're not edible. Or you can eat them, but they just don't taste good. Uh, Different trees produce different fruits. Some trees produce good fruit. Some trees produce bad fruit. And we like the ones that produce good fruit. Um, today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And you can turn there. Uh, but as you turn there, I want us to go back to Colossians chapter 1 actually and read a verse about this idea of bearing fruit. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. That's what the gospel does, brothers and sisters. The gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. What is the fruit of the gospel? You know, I showed you this fruit that I got from those three trees in my yard. What is the fruit of the gospel? The fruit of the gospel is really simple. It's a changed life. If the gospel is active in your life, you have a changed life. But it's more than just a changed life. The fruit of the gospel is actually many changed lives, isn't it? Uh, Anyone who has experienced the gospel, anyone who has embraced this good news about Jesus Christ has had a changed life. And that's what we call the fruit of the gospel is a changed life. And uh, more than just changed individuals, what I would say is it's changed families, changed communities. In fact, I would say if you have a group of people like we have here at Trinity Church, you have a different kind of community. A gospel community, a group of people. I'm not just talking about a geographic community. I'm talking about a group of people that has something in common that was produced by the gospel. And that is that is what we call a church community. You know, a community that we call a gospel community has been saved by Christ alone. And we exist to imitate him and to and to multiply his love to other people. And what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 1 is that we do this, we grow in him, we follow him, uh, and we have this gospel community by imitating him. 
So just by way of review, uh, the last couple of weeks, here's what we've been going through. Chapter 1 of Colossians, we talked about our worship. We worship Christ alone because he is creator. He is almighty God. He is the one who redeemed us and saved us. And really that sums up the whole Old Testament, doesn't it? The theme of God as creator and God as redeemer, all tied together in Jesus. And that's why we worship him alone. That's why worship is so important. Last week, we talked about our discipleship. So not only do we worship Jesus, we follow him. And that looks like uh, being rooted in him, uh, basically trusting him completely in every area of life. You know, one of the things that uh, we saw in these first two weeks is that it's tempting in our world today, here at Trinity Church, anywhere you go really, it's tempting to give Jesus a place in your life, maybe even an important place in your life, a prominent place. But Colossians says, he's the one we worship, he's the one we follow, he must have the preeminent place. He must have the most important place of anything in your life. And so today, we're going to talk more about what happens when this gospel takes root in our lives. It creates a gospel community. And this happens when we imitate Christ alone. So first of all, we talked about worshiping Christ alone. Then we talk about following Christ alone. And one of the most important ways we can follow Christ alone is by imitating him uh, in, in what we're taught here in chapter 3 of Colossians. So community, this idea of, of uh, following Christ alone, I think Colossians 3 really gives us three instructions about how we can imitate Christ alone. And if you have a bulletin, you can fill these blanks in. But I think Imitating Christ alone uh, produces gospel community, a group of people who love one another the way Christ loved us and then multiply that love to everyone around them. And that's our goal here at Trinity Church is to have gospel community, loving one another because we love Christ and then multiplying that to many other people. I think the world is full of people who crave this thing called gospel community. They may not even know they crave it, but that's what they were created to have, is community with others who are following Jesus. So the first instruction for imitating Christ alone, I think what we see here is, is number one, to prioritize Christ's kingdom. We're going to read the first couple verses of chapter 3 here in a second. But this is the first point, is to prioritize God's kingdom. Where, where do we see that? Uh, follow along as uh, I put these verses up on the screen. You can just follow along as I read them. Uh, it says this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So those first four, four verses tell us that we must prioritize God's kingdom. Now, um, I already said this before, that uh, this idea is that Christ is not supposed to be one of the important things in our life. He is supposed to be the important thing in our life. And what we see here in these verses is, uh, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ. So actually, we could actually translate that and say, since or because you have been raised with Christ, now uh, seek the things that are above. In other words, if you've trusted Christ, you've been raised with him, you are in his family. You're a member of his family. And so because of that, now he asks you uh, to seek his kingdom. Now, so I wrote up there on the, on, in the, on the board, uh, 
prioritize his kingdom. So this word priority is a really interesting one. Priority is something that's important, right? Something that you see as, as being important. And it's really interesting if you study the history of the word priority and study it all the way through the Middle Ages up till now, priority has always been a singular word. In other words, there's only supposed to be one thing that's called a priority. Only in about 1940, people started talking about priorities. All right, does that make sense? It was never meant to talk about more than one thing. If you have a priority, you have one priority. Uh, and only recently, in the last you know 80 to 100 years, have we talked about multiple priorities. Or have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, my top priority is to, to accomplish this. And I've said that. <laughs> and reality is, when we talk about prioritizing God's kingdom, I want us to go back to that original meaning of the English word priority, and that is to have one singular priority. And that is to follow God and to accomplish his work in his kingdom. So prioritizing God's kingdom means that he is our singular focus. Well, what does that look like? Um, if we think about the teaching of Jesus, uh, Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So again, Jesus says, this is the one important thing. Seek God's kingdom. So many of Jesus's parables that he told talk about the value of God's kingdom, that if you don't have this, you're missing all other things. All other things don't even compare to what you have if you have God's kingdom. So prioritizing God's kingdom, what does that look like? It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So what we see is I think too often humans find it easy to focus on the things that are around us, the things we can see, the things we can touch, the things we can smell and taste, and the things we can do. And we focus our, our, our attention on those things. And God says, guess what? If you know me, if you know Jesus Christ, if Christ has paid for your sins, your destination is heaven. In fact, your citizenship is in heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. Now set your mind on your destination, where you will go. And that will determine a lot of how you live your life while you are here on earth on your way to that destination. So setting your mind on the things that are above. Luke chapter 9 verse 62. I love this verse. Jesus is, is talking to some people and he says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and then turns around and looks back is worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And his point is, once you've joined God's kingdom, once you've placed your faith in Christ, set your focus on where you're going. Where you're going determines how you live your life. And, uh, you know, I, I remember growing up, we had uh, we had this old tractor that my dad would put me on. And he'd say, I remember when I was really young, he would go out there and he would make the first pass across the field when we were going to plow the field. And he'd get it straight as an arrow. And then as the day went on, I made it more and more crooked. Well, sooner or later, he said, all right, today, Marcus, I want you to go out and I'm going to have you do the first pass. And you go set the course and you go across the field. And and uh, so I did, and I'm going across the field, and all of a sudden I noticed a bird over there, and then I noticed, uh, is that is that a rabbit running across the field over there? And and I got to the end of the field, and I looked back, and the path was all over the place. I'd missed the target, and my dad came out there. He wasn't real happy, uh, but the point is, our focus determines how we travel through life, and God says, I want you to travel through life with your focus on my kingdom. Setting your mind on the things above. He says, I'm the one who saved you. I'm going to give you eternal life for all eternity. And so live your life in light of that fact. 
You know, we may have responsibilities here on earth. All of us have responsibilities, don't we? We all have responsibilities to carry out, things that God asks us to do. Care for your family. Do your job so that you can support your family. Raise your kids. Take care of your parents, whatever it might be. God gives us all responsibilities, but while we're doing those responsibilities, he says, uh, prioritize the kingdom of God. You do all those things because you are citizens of God's kingdom, and that determines how you do those things. And I think what we see, uh, the first thing, like I said, is to prioritize God's kingdom. Uh, but then the second thing that goes completely uh, in line with that is that uh, he says we do this by imitating Christ. And we, we jump straight into this next set of verses where it shows us that we must put to death the things that destroy. That's what Jesus did. He put to death the things that would destroy us. But how do we do this? Uh, let's read these verses. Follow along as I read them. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. If these, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters, these are some rich verses, and what we have here is a list of things that God says don't do these things, uh, things to avoid. And in fact, he uses even stronger language here. It says, put to death these things. And, and if we were going to sum them all up, I think we would say these are the things that destroy. What we're going to see is that these are things that destroy you as an individual if you practice them. But even more than that, what we see is they destroy community. They destroy the bonds and the, and the lives that people have with each other. If you practice these things, it will destroy things, uh, destroy the community that we are called to have. Uh, there's, it's really interesting. In verse 5, it says, put to death these things. In verse 8, it says, you must put them all away. And in verse 9, it says again, put off these things. You've put off your old self. So it's all this idea of, of getting rid of these things. And those are some powerful images, right? Put to death. Uh, the King James Version, if anybody has King James, it says mortify your flesh, mortify the sin. Basically this idea of killing it, stabbing it, and putting it out of its misery so that it's no longer there. Uh, that's the first thing that, that he tells us to do. Uh, putting these things away. Basically that idea is separating yourself from these things and never picking them back up again, Okay. Separate yourself from these things. If you're a citizen of God's kingdom, which those first four verses tell us you are, if you know Christ, then we are called to put to death the remnants of your sin nature, to separate yourself from those things. That's what it means to follow Christ, to imitate Christ. And then lastly, it says to put off the old self. Actually, it says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. What's interesting is the old self is gone. If you've known, if you've embraced Christ, he says, the old self is gone, even if some of its practices are not. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want us to spend just a minute looking at this, at this list of things that are mentioned by Paul here in, in verses 5 through 11. If we look at kind of what's happening here in verse 5, 
It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Remember earlier, earlier he said, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. So often we get bogged down in these things that are earthly. So this first little list in verse 5 has five things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those we would call sensual sins, most of them. And God says, you as, as my followers are to have no part in those things. Sexual immorality means sex, any, any type of sex outside of marriage. Impurity, passion, evil desire, those things all go together. Because the more you give in to your desires, the more you desire impure things. And it just becomes a vicious cycle that feeds itself. And God says, I am calling you to a life of purity. Because guess what? Those things will destroy you. Those things, if not practiced in the way that I've given them to you, will destroy your family. And it's a warning. It's a command to avoid these things. But I think what's really telling there is at the end of verse 5, it says all these kind of evil desires, right? All these kind of obvious sensual or sexual sins. And then it says, and also covetousness, which is idolatry. Why would you throw in something like covetousness? Remember uh, the Ten Commandments. The tenth commandment is actually thou shalt not covet a neighbor's wife or the neighbor's maidservant or manservant or his na- thy neighbor's house. Basically, this idea of desiring somebody else's things, desiring something you don't have, uh, and then with the intent to take it. And that's one of the ten commandments. Well, why is that mentioned here? See, many people have said that covetousness is really the sin behind the other sins. And when you desire something that God has not given you, Desire something that God has forbidden. Desire something that you were not created to have. It opens the door to so many of these other issues that destroy your life and destroy community. And really what, what happens, the opposite, I think, of covetousness is contentment. And so if you remove contentment and say, God, I don't think you've given me what I really need whether that's uh, material possessions, whether that's a relationship, whatever it is, and you say, I'm not content with what you've given me, and I'm going to go find it somewhere else, somewhere where I know I'm not supposed to. That destroys you, and that destroys the relationships around you. And so what we see is he says, um, it's actually idolatry. You're telling God, I don't think you're good enough or that you can provide what I really need, so I'm going to seek it somewhere else. In other words, worship another god which means you're now violating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So really, again, you see this idea of covetousness and desiring things that either God hasn't given you or things that God forbids uh, is the sin behind all other sins. It can lead, I think Martin Luther said, it leads to 10,000 other sins. So we got to be careful of these things. It says, put to death these things that destroy But what we need to do is also look, uh, going forward in verse 8, it says... Or verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, in other words, uh, think about it. what I said earlier. You, if you follow Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. You will live there someday. But the wrath of God is coming to punish sin because sin must be punished. And those who do not know Christ will face his judgment and his wrath. Guess what? If you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom, what what Paul is saying here, then you have no business living like a citizen of the kingdom of the world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Live like that, not as a citizen of the world. And so uh, we're going to see in a minute what that looks like. But verse 7, in these things you also once walked when you were living in them. But now 
you must put them all away. Separate yourself from them. And then here's another list. It says anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to each other, seeing that you've put off your old self. Now, what does that list kind of have in common? The first one we would say were kind of sensual sins. The second list that we run into, I would say, is kind of more um, societal sins or personal uh, relationship type sins. And, and did you notice how many of them have to do with what you say, how you talk to other people around you? Anger. Anger sometimes comes out in violence, but that's pretty rare, isn't it? I think more often than not, anger comes out with our words. Wrath would be overflowing, just blurting out something if you're talking about verbal, verbally expressing it. Malice, hatred, that'd be nurturing something in your heart, thoughts of hatred against someone else. Blasphemy um, or slander, tearing somebody down behind their back. It's so interesting to me that so many of these these sins that Paul mentions here have to do with how you speak and also how you relate to other people. Because brothers and sisters, if, if the devil wants to destroy a church or destroy a gospel community, these are the things he's going to use to do it. These are the qualities of somebody who walks according to his kingdom. And so Paul tells us, you must put these things to death. You must put these things away. Why? I love the order of this. Verse 10, uh, verse 9, uh, it says, you have put off the old self with its practices. You've already put that off. Uh, we come now into another picture where, where, where Paul's talking about basically wearing clothes. In verse 10, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This idea is, is actually very important, that you've put off those things, but you don't just get rid of the bad and leave your, your life vacant. Praise be to God that the gospel says you can get rid of those things that destroy you, and God is going to fill you up with the things that give you life and bring life to you as an individual and bring life to your relationships with the people around you. God wants to give you life through Jesus Christ. Not just eternal life, but life here on earth. Uh, eternal life has already begun for those of us uh, who know him as our Savior. So this idea of putting to death those things that destroy... I think we need to realize that these are things that um, destroy you and destroy relationships. And God says, put those things away, put them to death. Whatever you want to say, we put those to death because God has given you a new self. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are a new person if you know Jesus Christ. And, and if you don't know him, you can be a new person. And I would just say, uh, God doesn't charge you anything for that. There's no price tag. He says, Christ already paid the price. All you have to do is trust him and rely on him. So you need to put those things away because they are no longer compatible with who you are as a, as a child of God. You know, we talked about these trees, these satsuma trees, trees that produce good fruit, the delicious fruit. God says, you are a good tree and now, Produce the fruit that goes in line with that. Produce the good fruit. Well, what does that fruit look like? That's where we get to our third point today, and that is to put on the character of Christ. And I believe that's what we would describe as the good fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Put on the character of Christ. So uh, point number one was prioritize God's kingdom. 
Make sure that His goals are your goals. That's the one thing. You know, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, we are prioritizing God's kingdom. Put to death the things that destroy. Get rid of those things. In other words, discard those vices. Discard those evil things. And now we are told to develop virtues. Put on the character of Christ. Let's read these verses. Verses 12 through 17. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Those are some amazing words from God's word. And I don't want us to miss their meaning, but I think what what God is telling us here is that if you are his follower If you're a citizen of his kingdom, if you are working to put off those things that would destroy you, he says, what I want to offer to you is something to put on. And that is the character of Christ. And this is where we really talk about imitating Christ. These things that were listed in those verses are the qualities that Christ perfectly demonstrated for us. And that's what we're called to put on. You know, if you think about, I actually love this passage at weddings, verses 12 through 17. Because if you think about at a wedding, everyone shows up and they know what they're supposed to wear, right? Especially starting with the bride. She's probably worked on her dress for months or decided what it was, spent a lot of money on it. Uh, and, and, and she knows exactly what she's going to wear. Now, the groom is probably told what he's supposed to wear, right? <laughs> and then the rest of the audience, all the guests at the wedding pretty much know what they're supposed to wear, their finest clothes. That's what you do. When you come to a wedding, you wear all the right clothes. And, and the thing is that about that is, is, is the picture that we're getting here in Colossians 3 is wear the clothes that match the situation. What is the situation? We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He has set us free from those things that would destroy us. And now put on the good things, the things that give us life. One thing I'll say now, and I'll say it again before we're done, is we can look at these good of, list of, uh, of good qualities and the list of bad qualities and say, okay, well, I think I'm, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to avoid the bad. And, and you can start almost seeing it as a scale. Am I good or am I bad? And, and, and that's so anti-grace, okay? What we need to realize is that We pursue righteousness by faith alone. In other words, we can't do this on our own. There's no way you can achieve this good list of things that we're about to talk about. There's no way that you can do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things on your own effort. Because just like we receive Christ by faith alone, we receive salvation by faith alone, we also receive righteousness by Christ alone. He's the only one who can make us righteous and bring us to this point of perfection uh, at the coming of Christ. So what does it look like to put on the character of Christ, to replace the old with the new? There's a book, uh, or uh, I think an essay called uh, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And, And what that basically means is if you cast out something old, you better replace it with something new and something better. 
And, uh, and, and to do that, uh, God says, here are the things you need to fill yourself with. The character of Christ. What are these qualities? Um, compassion. Kindness. The way you treat people around you. Again, remember we saw those examples of how you could treat people wrongly. Here's a bunch of examples of how you can treat people rightly. Compassion. That's the idea. That word in scripture actually has the idea of, of what a mother has for her child. Think about like an infant who cries and a loving mother who runs to see what's wrong. Uh, maybe a two-year-old who falls and skins their knee. Uh, when, I, when I was around and, and, uh, and my kids skinned their knee, they didn't get a lot of sympathy from me. I'll just confess that, okay? But when Sarah would come running, she would fix it up. She'd give it a kiss. She'd put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, and that idea of just that mother's compassion is what we're talking about here, is really caring about people who have a need. Kindness. You know, we talk to our kids all the time about being kind. Guess what? This is written not just to kids. <laughs> this is written to adults too. Kindness to the people around you, no matter how they treat you. That's another thing about this list is a lot of the things that are in this list don't talk about, well, if they're nice to you, then then you be nice to them. Or if they're kind to you, then you be kind to them. If if you have a complaint against someone else, it says you forgive them. It doesn't say and they have to ask for forgiveness first. You know, what's interesting also, I think there, there are kind of a few things that we notice out of this list. A bunch of this has to do with patience with other people, right? It talks about humility, long-suffering, this idea of there's going to be people in the world, people in this church that bother you. Things are going to go wrong. People in your family that offend you. But what is a Christian supposed to do? A Christian is called to imitate Christ and to be full of compassion and kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It's this idea of strength under pressure. Um, What else is on this list? Uh, Forgiveness. Forgiveness is another key thing that's mentioned three times in there. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I remember uh, when Sarah and I were taking pre-marriage counseling, we had a, a college professor who was walking through all these things that we needed to know before we got married. And you can ask Sarah how much I retained, uh, probably not enough. Uh, but I do remember one thing at the end. He said, is there any other question you have? And I said, well, this might be kind of silly, uh, Dr. Neely, but uh, I, I kind of have a hard time forgiving even just like little things. Like I just never forget it. And I just kind of hold grudges. And, and I still remember him. He, looked, he pointed to this verse, and he pointed to Ephesians 4.32, and he said, Well, I understand that, Marcus. That's because you're a human. But you see in Scripture, forgiveness is not just an option. It's a command. Uh, it says, You must forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, how did Christ forgive me? Was it because I deserved it or because I had earned his forgiveness? Absolutely not. He forgave me even though I didn't deserve it. And so Paul tells us, God tells us, you are called to forgive in the same way Christ forgave you. So today I ask you, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Uh, whether they deserve it or not, that's the call we have. You know, we're about to enter Thanksgiving week. And a lot of times grudges that people in their family have against each other come up during Thanksgiving. I don't know why that is, but they do come up. Maybe it's because we're all under the same roof uh, for too many days at a time. I don't know. But think about those things. Maybe there's some grudges you've been carrying for years. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And you'll find out that that there are two people who are set free when you forgive. First of all, you set the person free uh, who's wrong to you. But even more than that, you set yourself free uh, by forgiving them. 
put on love. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The idea of Christ's love was a sacrificial love, right? No matter what it cost him, he showed us love, even though it cost him everything. And so we are called to sacrifice and treat others as better than ourselves, to, to imitate his love. You know, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's one of the fruits that we bear. That's one of the things we can do to imitate Christ that really sets a gospel community apart from any other community is a love that doesn't have something else in mind. I'm going to love you if you give me that. No, we love one another. We love the world around us simply because God asks us to and because they need salvation. They need the life that Jesus alone can give. So it says, put on these things. I love that picture. Take off those old clothes. You know, if you think about Jesus in the tomb, he left the burial clothes behind, didn't he? And he asked us to do the same, to put on the resurrection clothes of these things that we've been talking about. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts to which you are indeed called in one body and be thankful. Um, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, that's a that's an important thing for us to realize. If we talk about all these things that God is trying to produce in us, how do we know what they are? How can we develop these things? Well, guess what? The Word of Christ, the Word of God, is one of the most powerful tools that we have for building character. And we can't know the will of God. We can't know uh, uh, how to follow Christ unless we know the Word of Christ. And so how do we learn that? Well, we encourage each other. And it says, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What does that mean? I want you to realize that when we come together to worship on Sunday morning, the proclamation of the word is very, very important. But I also know you're not going to be able to quote me tomorrow on everything I said. But there's a pretty good chance you're going to remember these songs that we sang, right? Uh, what do you find yourself doing while you're driving to work? Do you find yourself kind of quoting what Marcus said? No, probably not. But you might find yourself singing a song or having a tune going through your head. So the value of worshiping God and hearing truth proclaimed through music is incredible, huge. You do that here. You can listen to all kinds of stuff online nowadays too. But I think implanting God's truth through songs is so important because our minds somehow retain that. Uh, and so use that as a tool. I think it's a gift from God. It's beautiful and it's a gift from God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I think the last verse ties it all together to say this. Remember, as you try to put on the new things and put away those old things because you've already put off your old self. Romans 6 says you're dead to those things. As you try to put on these new things, remember, you can't do this in your own power. You must depend on the same God who saved you. To create these things in you. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put these things on and depend on Christ to help you with that through his Holy Spirit. We want to build a gospel community here. We already have a community of believers gathering together. And we want that community to grow stronger and stronger. Welcoming more and more people in to come to know him. Uh, We carry each other's burdens, and then we also, as we're going to see next week, are motivated to multiply that to people outside this church family. I think that's where Colossians takes us, is that we have this community. We follow Jesus, not just for our own benefit, but so that we can share this amazing news with the world around us.
You know, there's a lot packed into these 17 verses that we just read. A lot's packed into them. But at the end of the day, I think what it really is, is a call to bear fruit. God says, I have given you a new self. You're a different kind of tree. Now go and bear that fruit. So what kind of fruit are you producing? And I would just say one day at a time, maybe one action at a time, one conversation at a time, depending on where you are, maybe even just one word at a time. Let God produce his good fruit in you. Imitate Christ so that he can create this gospel community in your life and in this church. You know, there's one last thing I'll say. In verse 15 and in verse 17, it mentions the fact that we need to give thanks in everything. And here we are two weeks before Thanksgiving. It's important for us to realize that Thanksgiving is a great holiday for us to uh, focus in on the blessings of God in our life. But I will tell you this. When you read Colossians, you can't miss all the times that Paul is giving thanks. Christians don't just give thanks at Thanksgiving. (laughs) We give thanks each and every day for what God has done for us in his son and for what he provides day to day as he gives us our daily bread. So I am grateful this morning that we are here together. I'm grateful for God's word, for the word of Christ, which we celebrated in song and now we've had proclaimed. And I pray that as we go out from here and in the days ahead, that God will build a gospel community, a community of people who care for one another and reach out to the world around them. So let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who saved us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, help them to have a hunger to know you. And Lord, just reach out to them and wrap your arms around them. God, I pray for those who do know you, Lord, that we would uh, continue this journey together, becoming more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would imitate Jesus in your power, not our own. And God, thank you for making that power available to us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.